0: All right, sure, say good morning, good morning. Is this on? You hear me all right? All right, good morning, everyone. We'll let us begin with a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today again. A tremendous yeshkoch to Rabbi Melram for dedicating and sponsoring the Mizonos this morning in honor of the shir, in honor of the daf. to thank... Our Dafyomi sponsors to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Tishrei. Dr. Linda Weinberg, Sarah and Ricky Gratz, Julia, Rina and Eve, in loving memory of their husband, father and Zayda, Dr. Paul Weinberg, parents Moshe Ben Avram. Ben Avram, David, excuse me. We thank Ayal and Sarah Steinberg for dedicating the Sherman Drushos this month and the Sousa for Shulamis Bas Susha. Adam and Yudit Benzev for dedicating the Shuram this month and the schuss of all of our tchilos being neskabel. Our week of learning sponsors, Ira and Miriam Grossman, incarnation of the yard site of Ira's father, Melvin Grossman, Melech Ben Azriel, zikrona lebracha, and Avi Zeissman, in commemoration of the yard site of his mother, Ziva Bas Avraham, Zichron of the We hope in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshama shall have an Aliyah, on all those who require a refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisra. But with that, let us begin. Today's da'af is Tzadikai 95. We are picking up a Merit Sashem at the Mishnah on Tzadikai amadal So some really interesting cases today. Here we go. Mishai Nasai Noshim. Man was married to two women. And what happened? So we'll Sadeu. So remember again a word of introduction. We know we've already established this multiple times over that when a man gets married all of his property becomes encumbered to the k'suva. Now, the nature of a k'suva encumbrance is unlike any other encumbrance. There's nothing else like it. In other words, if I borrow a thousand dollars from from Ruvain, okay, so there's an encumbrance against my land. Encumbrance against my land, but lamaisa but l'maysa, that encumbrance, that lien, does not devolve upon metal movable property. Ksuva is unique in that the Ksuva Ksuva encumbrance really really encumbers anything and everything, movable property, real property, anything the husband presently owns, and anything the husband will ever own. This actually is written into the Ksuva itself. Where the ksuva indicates again anything a husband currently owns, I'm talking about contemporarily, will own afilu min galima da al Maybe you remember that from your chassano. Afilu min da al even from the shirt on your back. That's not a metaphor. It's not a metaphor. It's literal. That that is the nature of a ksuva lien. It devolves against everything, even the shirt on the back. So we'll say. So therefore, we have the following situation over here. Reuven is married to him in Rachel and Leah, and what happens? Umachar Now after they got married, after they got married, Ruven sells a field. So I will say, which means now he's selling a field that what has a lien against it. Machar the And I will say, interestingly enough in this case, wife number one, Rochel, writes to the purchaser, I have no claim against this field. So again, Ruven sells the field. The field is encumbered. Who is in encumbered to? Who is encumbered to? Encumber Both, Both wives, right? Rachel and Leah. Rachel writes essentially, which literally means I have nothing to do with this field. Which for our purposes means what? I'm releasing my lien against the field. Now Rachel wrote that. Leah did not write that. I did not write that. Okay, so what's Talachan? So we'll say, so now let's play it forward. Let's assume, you know, Ruven dies. Reuven dies. And now there's not sufficient property in the estate to pay off the Ksuvas. So what happens? Listen to this. So now ultimately, again, now Leah, the second wife, never released her claim against the field. So Leah could extract the property from the purchaser to pay off her k'suvah. And I will say, right, Rachel, Rachel can't do it. Why can't Rachel do it? Why can't Rachel do it? Because Rachel released her lien. And I will say, now watch this. But after Leah seizes the field from purchaser, Rachel can seize it from Leah. Now what's the pshat? So actually understands understands over here, that halacha l'maysa, when Rachel releases her lien against, against the purchaser, she's not really lifting her lien. What she's essentially saying is, I'm not going to collect it from you, purchaser. Right? I'm making a pledge. I'm not collecting it from you. Do I have a claim against this land? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm not going to execute the claim against you. So therefore, watch this. This is such an incredible case. So therefore, when Ruven dies, there's not enough money in the estate to pay off the xuva Rochel can't collect it from purchaser because she already she forgave that claim. Leah can Leah extracts it from purchaser, and now I will say, now what could happen? Rachel could extract it from Leah. Now, why could Rachel extract it from Leah? Because unlike the previous cases where all the ksuvas of all the wives were dated the same date, this is a case where Rachel married Reuben before Leah did. Therefore, Rachel has an earlier ksuvah than Leah, and therefore Rachel has the ability to extract it ultimately from Leah. But we're not done. <coughs> and I will say, now watch this. After Rachel extracts it from Leah, guess who comes back on the scene? Purchaser. Purchaser extracts it from Leah. Now, boss, we must be talking about a case when Ruben sold the field. When Ruvayn sold the field, he sold it with Akhraiz. He sold it with a guarantee. And therefore, again, Akhraiz says that if for some reason, ultimately, again, the land is seized by someone else, so the either either seller or the estate has the obligation to make the purchaser whole. So, says, so after Rachel seizes it from Leah, Purchaser can then seize it back from Rachel. Both say, now, what happens after that? The choser, the is chalila. Now, both say interesting interesting. What happens after that? After purchaser seizes it back from Rachel, then what? Leah can seize it back from purchaser, right? Rachel can seize it back from Leah. Purchaser, purchaser can seize it back from Rachel, and choser chalila. Never this keeps on going; never ends. <laughs> ad ad sheyasep shara b'neim until all of the parties involved come to some type of agreement. I we'll say, I'll tell you, so fascinating, so they, they have to figure out how to negotiate this, because essentially, there's one field in play. There's one field in play. And the truth is, the truth is, right, you have a purchaser who purchased it, knowing that there was a lien from the second wife, right, first wife released her lien, so second wife could seize her from the purchaser, but then first wife, whose ksuba proceeds the second, could seize it from the second creditor that could then come back to the first. wife. you told me you would never seize the land satisfaction of the k'suva, and this keeps going round and round and round. Ad yasub Sharabe nehem. So I'll we'll say, I'll just tell you this: there is a profound statement. There is a profound meaning in that st- morning. There is there is a prof- <laughs> there's like a million seats. There's like a million seats. By the way, as I said, we Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. So, i say, so, next time I'll stand. I'll stand, I'm sorry. Right? So, say, so, so the, the, what's interesting about this is as follows. This statement is such an incredibly profound statement if you think about it. Because look, look at the Lashan over here. There are some dynamics in life which keep on perpetuating until the parties involved decide to come to some type of agreement. How often does this happen? Not, not with necessarily even just with money, but with. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, I meant to move it more. Thank you. How many times does it happen in life with like relationships, right? Family dynamics. That there's strife, there's difficulty, there's discord that occurs, and it keeps it's a perpetuating cycle until when? Sometimes, if you want to break the cycle, you have to be willing to go ahead and figure out how to work out a compromise between the parties involved. Such an incredibly profound yesot. It's not just over here. It's just many family dynamics. I will say this same case could come up with the case of a creditor and it could also come with a case of a woman who lent her husband money. So again, we'll see in the Gemara, we'll illustrate these particular cases. Beautiful. Says the Gemara, <clears throat> my <clears throat> Havi. we'll Say, remember how this case started. Remember how this case started. Right? So remember again, you have Reuven's married to Rachel and Leah. Reuven wanted to sell a field. Reuven wanted to sell a field. It's an encumbered field, right? It has a lien against it from the, from the wives' suvas. So what happens? Rachel writes to the purchaser, Rachel writes to the purchaser, Right, I, I have no, I have not, I have nothing to do with this particular parcel of land. So the Gemara says, I don't understand that type of formulation. Why does it work? If a person says to his friend, "I have nothing to do with this field," the a and I am not involved in it. The yada and my hand is removed from it. We we'll remember again, we had this not so long ago. You have Reuven and Shimon in a partnership, right? And Reuven, Reuven wants to extract himself from the partnership. So he uses one of these Lashonas. My hand is removed from it. I have nothing to do with it. We will say, these Lashonas are meaningless. When you have a financial interest in something, there is a concrete way to be able to go ahead and remove yourself from that interest. Saying I have nothing to do with it is not sufficient. So if a woman has a claim, right? So in other words, a partner could say, I no longer want to be a party to this. I want to remove my partnership interest. I'm being math gear. I'm being math gear. my ownership interest to you. But what we call a simple look, removal of yourself from something, does not go ahead and unwind your partnership interest. So over here, it's not a partnership interest. It's a lien, but it's the same idea. When the woman just says, I have nothing to do with this, that's not a proper lushan of extraction. So, why does that release her claim on this land? To which the Gemara says, No, 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 what are we dealing with over here? Oh, I will say, it's where the, where, the, where the purchaser of the land made a kinyan with the woman, a kinyan chalipin. So, I will say, now when he's making a kinyan, he's essentially acquiring her rights in this property as well. So, this is not just where she's just simply saying, I have nothing to do with this property. She's literally doing a king in with the purchaser and thereby removing her rights from the property. Or I should say removing her lien from the property. I says still, even if he made a, even if she made a king in with him, why should that matter? Listen to this. Tema asisi I this is fascinating. Why can't she come around and claim, you know what? I never meant to go ahead and remove my claim from this land. I, but Rachel, you said, You you made a claim. You even made a kingyan. She could claim that what? I was just trying to make my husband happy. Right? We all do this in marriage. Things that we don't really mean. Things that we don't really want to do for the sake of making a spouse happy. So in this case over here, she's claiming, she's claiming that, she's claiming that, Halacha I gave up, I said that I gave up my rights or my claim, my lien on this land, because I know it was important, my husband really wanted to sell the property, the purchaser wasn't going to purchase it if he knew that it was encumbered, so I said I gave up my lien, but what, but what, I didn't really mean it, which we'll say, if you think about it, it sounds strange, Well, why did you say it, we'll say, remember again, for a woman to give up a lien, a sub lien against property, is a very dramatic thing. Because that property, that lien, that, that is her financial security. So she says, Listen, I felt bad. My husband wanted to sell the property. The guy wasn't going to purchase it if it, if it was encumbered. So I said what I had to say to make my husband happy. But I didn't really mean it. Milo Tran, did we not learn? Let's listen to this interesting case. Lakach Minaish, Let's listen to this case. Listen to this case. A man, a person comes and purchases a parcel of land from a man, from Reuven. Now, the purchaser realizes that the land is encumbered. So what does he do? He goes to Rachel, and he says, Rachel, I just want to make sure that you're okay with the sale of this property. Even if she says yes, even if she says yes, Mekcho Now we'll say, means the sale is void. Now, that's a very dramatic statement. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, this is talking about specific types of land culture, of the Gemara, and Babasra. We don't have to get into this now. For our purposes, what do you see from here? Alma, Nachas ruach asisi Labayli. We'll say, what do you see from here? You see from here that, a woman could say, a woman could say, even though I agreed to the sale, I didn't really. I didn't really. I will say, by the way, this Kimar is teaching us one of the most important dynamics in marriage, which is sometimes what a spouse says is not what they mean. Not what they mean. And I will say, no, no, on on a serious note, that, that in marriage, sometimes it's so important to be able to intuit. I know my wife, and by the way, this goes both ways, but I think it often happens more. I know what my wife is saying, but what does she mean? And th- this is the source of much a shalom bias problem, right? Where, where again, but but you but you said you said this is what you said. I, I know that's what I said, but you should have known it. And there's something to it. I'll say there there really is that in a, in a healthy, loving marriage, right? There's what is said and there's what is meant. So hopefully, most of the time they're the same thing, but often they're not. Often they're not. And again, so, and this goes both ways. A spouse sometimes has to be able to intuit read between the lines a little bit, what it is that my spouse is really trying to convey. So here, Rachel says, listen, you wanted a subtle hand, what am I gonna say? No, no, in other words, you want to, I don't want to stand in the way, but this is my ksuva, so I didn't really mean it. I did not really mean to release my, so what's I just want to point out, it's amazing, it's only Sunday morning, 8.17, a few minutes into the week, and I'm actually on in two incredible dynamics. Number one, in marriage, be able to intuit what is really meant, even though it might be different than what is said, and number two, how certain relationship dynamics continue to go in <coughs> circles until ultimately the parties involved are willing to sit down and make up Shara. Incredible. So So will say, so now we have a problem. Now we have a problem. Right? Because our Mishnah seems to indicate that when the wife says, when Rachel says, Dinu dvarim, I have nothing to with the property, that she's really releasing her lien on the property. The problem is the mark court of these other cases. Where it seems to indicate that even if she says, I release my lean, she doesn't really release her lean. I, but she said it, because she could claim, Nachas I was just trying to make my husband happy. I didn't really mean it. So what's going on? Do we take her at her word, or don't take her at her word? So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi I'm Rabbi it's not a contradiction. Ha Rabbi Meir, Ha Rabbi Huda. They're both say two different opinions. One is, listen to this. Here we go. Here we go. Fascinating. This is a great case. Listen to this. Another b'risa. Now a third case, we're both say. Ruvain, watch this. Ruvain, the husband, Reuven, the husband has two parcels of land. Okay? He sells both parcels. When he sold to purchaser number one, lo chasmalo. means Rachel did not forgive the lien on the land, right? L'sheni v'chasmolo. In the second sale, Rachel did forgive her lien, right? So same case, same case. Remember, Rachel's k'suva lien applies to all of the properties in the estate. When Reuven sells off parcel number one, Rachel does not forgive the lien. On parcel number two, she does forgive the lien. So the Gemara says, ibduks. so the Gemara says, what's the huh? Ib'dak, k'suva Mer. says, she's lost her k'suva. And I both say, Lost her ksuva means she's lost her, lien. she's lost her lien on both properties. On Both properties. We'll say, Rabbi, Rabbi, Meir, Rabbi Meir's idea over here is that once she signals that she is willing to go ahead and forgive a lien on a property, we assume that what? We assume that what? She's willing to forgive her lien on all properties. Rashi says, Ibda ksuvasa, im ain sham benichorin shari arishon omar hinachtila chamakom lig vosemero. Now let's we'll say, so let me just tell you this outside. Shemir says like this. When purchaser when purchaser number one bought his property, right? And ultimately again, she did not and I'm sorry, purchaser number one did I'm sorry, right, purchaser number one bought the property and she did not forgive the lien. He said I was okay purchasing that property. Why? Because when I purchased the property, Ruvain still owned what? Field number two. Field number two is a place from where Rachel could collect her Ksuva. So essentially, purchaser number one felt like he was buying unencumbered property. Now, Rachel chose to go ahead and forgive her lien on parcel number two. Purchaser number one says, hey, that's not fair. That's not fair. I left you a place to collect your ksuvah. Therefore, Rabbi Meir says, she can't collect either from purchaser number one or from purchaser number two. Purchaser number two, because she actively forgave the lien. Purchaser number one, because it's not fair, he could say, I effectively bought unencumbered property because you could, you could go ahead and collect from field number two. Rabbi Hud, Rabbi Huda says... Rabi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, asisi And ultimately Rabbi Huda says, Look, I didn't really mean or she could say, I didn't really mean to forgive the lean on field number two. I was just trying to make my husband happy. And we also here, the brisa adds in an extra phase, Atem what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I'm just trying to be a good wife. I'm just trying to make my husband happy. Right? And so I agreed to forgive the lien, but I did not really mean to forgive the lien. So I will say, so, so pretty amazing. So according to Rabbi Huda, therefore, halacha la maisa, halacha la she could collect from property number two. So I will say, so therefore, two different things. Rabbi, so Rabbi so you codified the Mishnah. Stam la hacha krebi mayor. Our Mishnah is like Rabbi mayor. Our mission is like Rabbi Meir, and therefore, again, I will say, and ultimately, again, v'sasam Mahasam, k'Rab Yehuda, and the Braissa ultimately, again, reflects the view of Rabbi Huda. so I will say, so ultimately, again, what's fascinating about this is, so Rabbi, Rabbi Meir is, therefore, in our case, the Mishnah, where the wife actively goes ahead and forgives her rights to the land, we assume that forgiveness is halakhically valid. We do not subscribe to the concept of Nachas Ruach Asisi Le She did it to make her husband happy, and therefore when she lifts the lean, she lifts the lean. Rabbi Huda is of the opinion that no, she could actually make the claim, I did this in order to make my husband happy, and that's the view reflected in the Braissa. So the Gemara says as follows Amra Papa. Papa has a different interpretation. He says, Bigrusha well, so papa says, perhaps, perhaps, the Mishnah, our Mishnah, is talking about a case of a divorcee. So, if you look at Rashi, Umrah Papa is almost right across In Rashi. Mm-hmm. The Mishnah is talking about a case, ultimately, again, of a grusha, And after she got divorced, after she got divorced, ultimately, again, she wrote this. Now, say, now remember, after a woman is divorced, if she says, if she releases her claim... On a k'suba, she can't claim what nachasru achasisi Why? Because we assume that a divorcee has absolutely no interest in doing something nice for her ex-husband. Right? So there are, in other words, it, I'm not talking about that there's animosity necessarily. But again, nachasru is a is a dinner like shalom bias. Right? My husband wanted to do something. I wanted to be a good and supportive wife, so I supported it even though I don't really mean it. I no, don't really mean it. So, Rapapa so says, perhaps our mission is talking about a case of a grusha where everyone would agree that if a woman is divorced, but hasn't, not, but hasn't yet collected her ksuva. And her husband wants to sell a parcel of land. And she actively lifts the lien from the parcel of land that that lifting of the lien is what? Absolutely legitimate. She can't claim Nachas because she's a divorcee. Okay. The thing about says, says, ravash Ravashi, she says, or Mary. Could be that everything reflects the of Rabbi Meir. How so? Listen to this. So, when does Rabbi Meir say that ultimately, again, she loses once she lifts the lean? Once she lifts the lean, we look at that as legitimate. In other she can't claim When do we say that? The Omri law. Maybe Rabbi Meir, remember again, Rabbi Meir was of the opinion that in the, in the case of the Braisa, where Reuven was selling two parcels of land, right, to purchase her number one, she did not release the lien. To purchase her number two, she did release the lien. So what does Rabbi Meir say? Ultimately, she lost her ksuba. She can collect and purchase her number one, because purchaser number one has the right to say what? I left you a place to collect from parcel number two. You chose to forgive that lien. That's your problem. And she can't collect from purchaser number two because she lifted the lien. Because she lifted the lien. So I say, perhaps in that case, Rabbi Meir says, she can't claim nach hasrach hasisi Labayli. Why not, Rabbi Because if, if she was really trying to make her husband happy, then what would she, what would she have done? Lifted the lien from both of them. Right, so the Gemara says, mm-hmm. but it could be that in the case of where there's only one sale of land, one sale of, of land, one parcel, and she releases her claim, maybe Rabbi Meir would hold mm-hmm and our Mishnah's, our Mishnah's case ultimately again is where she's writing it to another purchaser. So to say, if say, Allah Chalamaisa, Allah Chalamaisa, the Gmar suggests you could even set it up according to every mayor. Okay, so say, so, so, here's what we have. Here's what we have. A general machlokas, our Mishnah tells us that Allah Chalamaisa, when a woman forgives her lien, her k'suva lien on a property, that is an effective forgiveness. Effective forgiveness. Now, i will say, just the Gmarim now peppers in over here, there is an alternative school of thought, and the alternative school of thought is that she could claim, even after she forgave the property, she could claim, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. Nachas Ruach Asisi Labayli. I was only trying to make my husband happy. Now there's a machlokes as to when you apply the concept of Nachas Ruach Asisi Labayli. So let's go weiter. there. So at we learned, from the Nachas and Ba'afilu ha'in ziburis, ziburis. So I'll say, interesting case. In any situation, in any situation, so I'll say, we only, let's, because we'll by the way, this is true with any creditor case, any creditor case, where halochah saw, there are unencumbered properties. So I'll say, let's say again, I, I borrow, I borrow $10,000 from Ruvain. Now it's time to pay off. Now it's time to pay off. So I'll say, so in the meantime, in the interim, I sold off a whole bunch of properties. As long as I still own some properties, that's where the creditor has to take payment from. Even if what? Even if what? All I have in my possession is ziburis. Is ziburis. So, so this, is, this, is, this is a very important halacha. The ability to claw back properties, sold properties, to satisfy a debt, whether it's a loan, whether it's a k'suvah, only applies when the debtor doesn't own anything. But if the debtor owns something, even if it's inferior quality property, that is always where repayment comes from first. That's right. It's only if the debtor has nothing that we could claw back other property, sell property. Say, what about the following situation? Watch this case, watch this case. And you can apply to silver to a debt. I, I borrowed $10,000 from Ruvain. okay? So now I have to pay him back land. Let's say for argument's sake, so in the interim, after the loan, I sold off $10,000 worth of properties, but it happens to be I still own a parcel of land that is worth $10,000 as well. Beautiful. So therefore, when the loan comes due, if I don't have cash, that's where the lender is going to collect from. But here's the interesting question. What happens if halacha la ma'isa the field, gets flooded? I I have right I, I, I have a perfectly good field. It happened to be it was in uh, it was in Fort Myers, right? It was in Fort Myers, right? So I had a perfectly good field, Nevach. now again, active, right, what are they called? An act of God? Act of God, act of nature. Right field becomes flooded. Now the field is worthless. Field is worthless. So in that case, Halo Khalissa does the creditor have the ability to go back and claw back other properties? So I will say, so does he have the ability? So I will say, see see, here the Shiloh. So the Shiloh is in this case, there was an unencumbered property to collect from. It was there. It was there. It was extant. Now it got ruined through an act of nature. Through an act of God. So I will say, so does that give the credit? So because there was an unencumbered property to collect from, now it's ruined. Does that give the creditor the ability to go back and take back sold properties to satisfy the debt. So let's analyze. So Tashma, Kas of the Rishon of Allah So I going to try to prove this from the case ultimately of the woman. Right? to the case of the Ksuva. Right? So now Reuven is married to Rachel and Leah. Reuben is selling off parcels of land. Kas of the Rishon of Allah so, sold the parcel of land to another party and Rachel did not release the lien then he sells to another party and Rachel does release the lien on the second parcel of land Rehmer says she's lost her ksuvah so once again what does it mean she lost her ksuvah she can't collect from parcel number 1 why not why not because he could claim I left you another piece of property to collect from that's not fair I essentially bought unencumbered property she can't collect from parcel number 2 why not why not she released the lien. So she's lost. So, our says like this. Now, if you would think that in the case of the creditor, where I, right, I left one unencumbered property, one, one property in my possession, and then it became flooded, so if you would think that Allah, my creditor, should be able to collect from encumbered properties, sold properties, Nahi, says, If you would think, going back to our case, that where the unsold property becomes flooded, now the creditor has the right to collect from sold properties. So we'll the parallel case would be, in that case, then Rachel, even though she lost the ability to go out and collect the k'suva from purchaser number two, she should still be able to go out and collect Suva from purchaser number one. misheni says, in, in that case, by the k'suba, maybe it just means that she didn't lose the ksuva from the first guy, right? She could collect it from the first one, but she can't collect it from the second one. Amrav um, says, Here's the problem. Doesn't make sense for two reasons. Number one, Chada, the Ibdullah gamri Mashma. In that case of the ksuva, it sounds like, again, remember, the case of the that we're referring to over here is where Ruven, the husband, had two parcels of land. He sold them both. First one he sold, Rachel did not forgive her, de- her lien. Second one, she forgave her lien. Rabbi Meir says, she cannot collect her k'suva from either of them. She can't collect from number one, because he claimed I left you a place to purchase from number two. She can't collect from number two, because she released the lien over there. So Rabbi Meir says, no, 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 maybe when it says she lost her k'suva, it means she lost the ability to collect it from number two. But she can't collect from number one. Rav says that doesn't make sense for two reasons. Number one, ibdal of lost the k'suva, sounds like what? Lost it. In totality, odd tanya for the we learned. Lova mina echad umachar nechasav l'shna'im. So I say this is an interesting case, right? I borrow money. I borrow money from Ruvain, and then I have fields. I sold fields to two people. Umacher nechasav l'shna'im. The kasav balchov lokeach sheni, and I will say ultimately again the balchov, the creditor says to the second purchaser, din utvarim ein li imach. Right? I, have not, right? I have no claim against your land that you bought. He has no claim against the first first purchaser either. Why? Because will say, again, why? I about the case. Because will say, in this case, over here, the first purchaser could say to the creditor, you can't come to me because when I purchased the land, I left for you another parcel to purchase from. In other words, we see this theme over and over. When I purchase property, right, when I purchase property from someone, whether Reuven owes money to someone or he has a like I, as the purchaser, could say, I left property in the pot, right? I left property in your possession that was suitable to satisfy the debts. So therefore, you have really no right to come to me. To which the Gemara says, Hasam Ihu Daaf Sidnaf Shebi Adayim. here's the difference. Here's the difference I will say. So in, in these cases over here, in these cases over here, when you choose to release a claim on someone, you are causing yourself a loss, right? As opposed to the flooded field, I will say, where there's an act of God which causes the loss. So that's a fundamental difference. In other words, when you, rele- when you actively release a lien against a property, and now suddenly, again, the only other property that's there, so you're, you're causing yourself that loss. As opposed to a field that becomes flooded, that is an act of God, and therefore again perhaps in that case there is actual recourse. Sigma so is just quoting over here, pointing out the cases are not really similar. goes So the haw mais simbachalyom. But I will say, but one second, this happens all the time. Now what happens all the time? So I will say we're focusing, remember again, we're focused on a very specific case, which is I I borrowed, I borrowed $10,000 from Ruvay, okay? Now, in, in the course, in the cor- a year ago, now in the course of that year, I own $20,000 worth of property. I sold off 10000 of it, and I still have in my possession a field that is worth $10,000. Beautiful, so if I don't have $10,000 in cash, where is Ruvay gonna collect his money from? Where is he gonna collect it from? From the field. Now what happens, now what happens? The field becomes flooded. The field becomes flooded. What's the shaila? What's the Shiloh? The shaila is, does, does Rubain, the creditor, have the right to claw back some of those sold properties in satisfaction of his debt? That's the Shiloh. So the Gibara was saying, well, isn't this like, isn't this like the case of the Ksuva? Right, what was the case of the Ksuva? Right, Ruben, Reuben is married to Rachel. Reuben owns two fields, both encumbered to the Ksuva. Ultimately, what happens? So, what happens? So, he sells the first field. Rachel Rachel doesn't say anything. Rachel doesn't say anything. He sells the second field. Rachel forgives the debt, the lien on the second field. Rubain dies. Now, what happens? Rachel comes to number one to collect the field. What can number one say? Person number one say to Rachel, what can he say to Rachel? Rachel, I left you a place, I left you a field to collect your debt from. You chose to forgive that, lean that. That's your problem. That's your problem. This is Rabbi Mirashida. You have no right to come to me. So the Gemara wants to suggest, shouldn't it be the same case in the creditor as well? When the, when the creditors went ahead and purchased their, right, and now back to the loan case. I borrowed $20,000 from moving, right? I sold fields over the course of the year. So purchased the one, purchased the other. When they bought their fields, they knew that's what? I still had a field that was worth $10,000 in my position. So they, was, they were safe. They were safe. Now it became flooded. Can't they say to Ruvain, not my problem, not my problem, we left behind the field. To which the Gemara says, one second, the Bible says, this happens all of the time. Where ultimately again, right, what happens all the time? That I have an unencumbered field in my possession, it gets flooded, it gets flooded, and now in order to satisfy the debt, I send the creditor, ultimately again, to the people who bought fields from me. gavra. The Mishkan LePardeisa gave a perfect example of this. So there was a case. Just to illustrate this case over here. Um, good, um, fine. So here's the case. I borrowed, I borrowed uh, ten thousand dollars from Ruben. and what did I do? I had a great idea. I have a vineyard. I gave him my vineyard. I say you could use the vineyard. Mishkan La you could have my vineyard for 10 years. And the use of the vineyard for 10 years essentially is the repayment of the debt. Okay, good setup. The l'cham only one problem. The vineyard dried up after five years. After five years. So v'as They came up for d'ra'abonon. The to lay tirfa. And I will say, what did d'ra'abonon do? D'ra'abonon allowed Ruven, the creditor, to go out and collect sold properties. So we will say this is exactly the same case. Drying up of the vineyard is the same case as what? Same case as what? Flooding, Flooding of the field. Flooding of the field. To which the Gemara says, "Hasam nami inhu daf sidu Maybe the vineyard case is different. Why? Maybe because again, in this case, in this case, I created the lost. Right. In other words, who created the lost? In other words, we will say that we make the assumption that when you buy a field, you do the title search. Right? So if I'm if if, if I'm buying is buying a field from me, right? Ruben is going to look at my portfolio of assets, right? And he's also going to see who I sold to, who I sold to, or I should say, I should say differently. When people purchase property from me, they're going to be looking at what specifically? At least in the York, what, are they, what are they going to be looking at more than anything? Outstanding debts. That's what they're looking at, right? Why? Because those outstanding debts create a threat to their ongoing ownership of the property. Because if I default on anything, whether it's suva or loans, they run the risks of property seizures. So if both say, watch this, this is incredible. So now I, I borrowed $10,000 from Ruvain. Right? So I gave him my vineyard. I gave him my vineyard for 10 years to go out and use. Now in the meantime, after the death, I also sold a whole bunch of other properties. So the Gemara says, those guys who bought other properties, they know, everyone knows, vineyards are fickle. Vineyards are fickle. So the fact that Reuven got the vineyard for 10 years, any other purchaser knows that what? There's a strong possibility that what? That what? That vineyard is not going to last for 10 years. And therefore they run the risk ultimately again of property seizures as well. So therefore again, they know, they know. Good. Here we go. Shabbos say, by the way, this is the aloha lamais. Huh? Shabbos say, so in this case, let's go back again, just to frame which case we're dealing with. So in the case we're dealing with, namely, again, one more time, I borrowed $10,000 from Ruveen. Right, $10,000 from I have $20,000 of assets. I sold off $10,000 of real estate in diff- different transactions. It leaves me with a $10,000 field. Good. Good news, right? If I have cash, I'll pay back Ruben cash. If not, then what? Then what? Then what? He'll take the field, unencumbered field. Now, what happens? Field gets flooded. Field gets flooded. Reuven comes back now for payment of his debt. I have no cash. I have no I have no field. What's ta'lachah? What's ta'lachah? Reuven could go ahead and seize properties that were sold after the time of his debt, right? After the time of his debt, ultimately in satisfaction of the debt. Now, what's the chiddish in that? The chiddish is, The other purchasers can't say to Ruvain, you have no claim against us because at the time we sold you the property, we left in Silber's possession an unencumbered field. So they can't deflect payment by saying that it's true. They did leave. They did leave in my possession an unencumbered field, absolutely. And that was to be the source of repayment, but in the event that that field no longer becomes suitable for repayment, Reuven has the ability to reclaim sold fields. Both we'll say, that is the halacha lemaisa. Now again, I'll point out, I'll po- oh, well, let's finish up. What's we'll another, this is a great case. I'm rabbi, nechasi leich leploni. Listen to this interesting case. A man says to Rachel, a man says to Rachel, I'm giving you my property, but after you die, I want the property to go to so-and-so. We'll say there are, we've seen, it's an interesting type of gift. We've seen gifts like this in the Gemara. Where essentially I want to give someone the right to use something during their lifetime, but after their lifetime, I want it to go to someone else. But again, the someone else does not does not follow the normal inheritance lines. Right? So I'm saying, so I, I say, Rachel, I want to give you this field, I want you to use it during your life, and then when you when you die, I want this field to go to Zvulun. Who's Zvulun? Not your problem, Rachel. Not your problem. But I want it to go to Zvulun. Okay. Now what happens? But I'm the now Rachel gets married. So, the husband is considered to be a purchaser. So, was very interesting, the, 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 the husband essentially disrupts the transference of that property. The husband is considered to be like a purchaser in his wife's assets, and therefore, he becomes the owner of the asset after she dies, and it does no longer goes forward, no longer, what's the word? Not conveyed to Zvulun after Rachel's death. very interesting. So, Keman, okay, who's the being does this reflect? Kiyatan and the Sanya, Nechasi, Nechasi Lech, Leploni. So again, I say to Rachel, Rachel, I want my property to go to you, and after you die, I want to go to Zvulun. So Yara has shown Umachar. So if Rachel sells the property, what's that After Rachel dies, right, or even after before Rachel dies, Umachar Hashini Motzi Miad Dalakuchos Revi. Rebbe says that Allah Zvulun has the ability to go ahead and extract that property from anyone who Rachel sold it to. Rav Shimon says, no, no, no. We'll say this fascinating. Rav says the way these type of gifts work here is here's what we here is we. I say Rachel, I'm giving you this property, and when you die, I want it to go to Zvulun. Rav Shimon Leil says the way we interpret that is like this. Rachel, I'm giving you this land. And when you die, whatever is left should go to zvulun. Then I will say that whatever is left means what? Means what? Whatever is in your possession at the time of your death should go to zvulun. which means what, which means what? (laughs) If she either A, used it up, or B, sold it. Sold it. (laughs) Halal said there's nothing left for zvulun. So therefore, I will say, what we're saying over here is therefore, therefore, if she were to sell it during her lifetime, zvulun has nothing. So too, when a woman gets married, her husband becomes like a purchaser in her assets. And therefore, when she dies, Zbulun gets nothing. Zvulun gets nothing because it's as if the property has been sold to the husband. Fascinating. Did Rabbi really say this? Did Rabbi say this? That was like, what is the definition of a cunning Rasha? By the way, it's bad enough to be a Russia. Right, to be a Russia Arum, right, Mamish, like, okay. What's the definition of avarasha arum? This is someone who gives advice to someone to sell property like Rav Shmuel will say this would be someone who goes over to Rachel and say, Rachel, you know what you can do. By the way, you know what you can do. I was learning Tefilmi. I, mean, I know what you can do. You could actually go and use the property for a while, and then when when you're not feeling so well, you think the end is near. After you do tshuva go ahead and, or maybe before you do Tshuva, then do Tshuva on this also, then go ahead and sell off the property, make a little bit of money, you could pack it, the money, and zvulun gets nothing. So the gemara says, that's the definition of a Rasha Arum. Also well, I just pointed out, by the way, isn't it fascinating? I would have thought like a Rasha Arum is someone who eats Chazer in the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur. Right? Like, like, that, like that's like, let's say, what do you see from this? Sometimes, like the worst things, <coughs> are people who act underhandedly, right? And still have a smile on them. They're they're stabbing everyone in the back, right? But yet, they're they're your friend. They're your friend. So, you know, if you're going to sin, if you're going to sin, then be an honest sinner. Be an honest sinner, right? Own it, do it, do it, do it. I was say we know this, right? Because we 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 right? we've all had to interact again. I'm, I'm not encouraging it, and I want to be on record, right? Sin is bad. Sin is bad. Sin is bad. Don't do it. I was saying, but I want to point out like sometimes what Chazal say is the worst thing is to be a disingenuous person, to be the kind of person who like is underhanded. Is underhanded, right? Like like I'm your friend. I'm your friend. Your friend, but, but I'll stab you in the back afterwards, right? Or or I'll be nice to you. But I'll talk about you, back. But... that's a rusha Arum. Chazal said, be a genuine person, even if you're going to be a sinner. Be a genuine sinner. Because I'll we'll say, at least if you're a genuine sinner, I know what's wrong. am as well So ra- who's the Rasha Someone who tells Rachel. By the way, Rachel, just want to tell you, just so you should know. If you want, I know Zulim's supposed to get the property after you, but if you want to use it up as much as you can, then sell it. So benefit from the property. That's Rasha Arum. To which the Gemara says, <coughs> So will say. So therefore, again. What are we doing? We're going to tell... So I gave Rachel the property. Now we're going to tell Rachel, go get married so that this way again your husband will acquire the property and therefore Zvulun won't get anything after you. The says, do we tell her to get married? No, no. Mises Ka'amar. It means if she did get married, in other words, we're not not telling anyone what to do. We're making a de facto statement that Halacha Lamaisa, Halacha Lamaisa, if a person went ahead, if a person went ahead and got this kind of gift and then got married, just understand, her husband becomes a de facto purchaser of her estate, and that disrupts the flow of the estate to the, what's, what's the word? Secondary beneficiary, to Zvulun in this case. From Rabbi, Rabbi says, <laughs> Similarly again, Rabbi will say, I say to Rachel, Rachel, I'm giving you my property, and after you, I wanted to go to Zvulin. Umachra. And she dies. Rabbi will say, in this case, Rachel got married. Either was married or did get married. Listen to this. And then she dies. Habal motzi miyat halakuchos. The husband has the ability. She went in and she sold it during the course of the marriage. The husband has the ability to go and extract it from the purchasers. Listen to this. Oh. Now Zvulun comes along. So i saying, now watch this case. I, I say to Rachel, Rachel, I want you to have the property and after you, I want you, I want it to go to Zvulun." Rachel gets married. What happens when a woman gets married? What happens when a woman gets married? Her husband becomes effectively a purchaser in her assets. And now what happens? So now she sells it. She sells it. Sheet Rachel dies. Husband extracts it from the purchasers. Now what? Now what? Mm-hmm. We'll say, now what? So, uh, Zvulun extracts it from the husband. Oh. Right. Zvulun extracts it from the husband. Now watch this when I finish. And what happens to Bosai? The purchaser the purchaser extracts it from Zvulun. Now, why does the purchaser extract from Zvulun? Because the purchaser, as she points out over here, bought it with Achrayas with a guarantee from Rachel. So we'll say, isn't this a great case? Watch this, watch this. So one more time. I give a gift to, I a gift to Rachel. I say, Rachel, this property is yours. And after you die, I want it to go to Zvulun. Rachel either is married or gets married, whatever it is, right, her husband becomes a purchaser in her assets. Rachel sells it. After Rachel dies, husband extracts the property from the purchasers. From the purchasers. Zvulun, who was gifted it to me, extracts it from husband right, Zulu extracts it from husband. And then what happens, Well, say? This keeps on going round and round. Husband extracts it back from Zul, good. So the Gemara says, <laughs> But at the end of the day, we go ahead and we settle the property in the hand of the purchaser. As we'll say, so he put it, in other words, in this case, right, this, this, this circle, by the way, the circle, of course, over here, is I, husband extracts it from purchaser, Zvullen extracts it from husband, Purchaser extracts it back from zvulun, husband extracts it from purchaser, zvulun extracts, that's the circle. Purchaser, <coughs> husband, zvulun, purchaser, husband, zvulun. gemara says, we, we stop the circle, we stop the circle and we establish the property in the hands of the purchaser. I says, but one second. Why is it different than the Mishnah? Remember again, we have a similar dynamic in the Mishnah. What was the dynamic in the Mishnah? In the Mishnah. Remember again, the case of the Mishnah? Right? So, Reuven was married to Rachel and Leah. What happened over here? So, Reuven sells a piece of property. Rachel releases her lien from the property, Ksuvalin. Leah does not. Remember again what happened? Reuven died. Reuven died. There's one parcel of land. Remember again what happens? So, Leah. Extracts it from purchaser, Rachel extracts it from Leah. Purchaser extracts it from purchaser extracts it from Rachel, right? And this keeps on going. This keeps on going around and around and around. So the Gemara says. So the Gemara says. Yet yeah, in that case, what did the Mishnah say? The circle we have to make a pshara. We have to make some type of compromise. So we'll say, in the case we just mentioned over here, the Gemara doesn't say anything about compromise. What does the Gemara say? What does the Gemara say? We keep the property in the hands of the purchaser. So why in the case of the Mishnah do we make a compromise? And we'll say, by the way, what does compromise mean? what does, Pash, what does compromise mean? Everyone's gonna get something, right? In the case of the Mishnah, what it sounds like over here is that Rachel's gonna get something, is gonna get something, and is gonna get something. Yet over here in this case, we put everything with the purchaser. So why, why the distinction? So to listen to this very simple. dis lup to listen to this. In the case of the Mishnah, everyone has a loss. Everyone has a loss. So I'm think about it. in the Mishnah's case, Rachel, Leah, both have a loss, why? Because this is the only way they're going to get their tsuba. Purchaser has a loss, why? Because he paid money for the field. So when everyone is going to have a loss, that's when we try to make up shara. in this case we just mentioned. Remember again, in this case, I say to Rachel, I say to Rachel, the field is yours. When you die, what happens to it? What happens? Goes to Zvulun. She gets married, husband becomes a purchaser in her estate in her property. She sells it. She dies. Husband extracts it from the purchaser. Right? Husband extracts it from the purchaser. Then what? Zvulun extracts it from the husband. Purchaser extracts it from Zvulun. In that case, I will say out of the three parties, husband purchaser, or husband, zvulin, and purchaser, if there's only one person who has a loss. Who's the one person who has a loss? Right. Purchaser. So therefore, I will say, in this case of, in this circular case, where there's only one person who has a loss, we're going to put the property in the possession of the person who has the loss, only the purchaser, because the purchaser is out money. Right? Zvulin doesn't have a loss. Why? Because for Zulin, what did this represent? What was it? It was a gift. Husband doesn't have a loss, because again, it was found property that his wife had. So neither of us we're def- understand how we're defining loss. We're defining loss as who expended capital, right? As opposed to in the case of the Mishnah there are three parties who have a loss. Rachel needs to collect her k'suva, right? Leah needs to collect her k'suva, and purchaser purchased the field. So when there's three people who have a loss, that's going make a p'shara, one person who has a loss, keep the property with him. Also, Rav right from among the to come So also Rav from and they said over this idea from Ravashi. He said, Did Abayahachid, really say this." Vamra Abayahabayah said, "Nechasti leichfacharaych leploni." Right, if I go and I say to Rachel, "Here's the field," and after you die, goes to Zvulun. Um am and she goes there and she gets married. Rachel gets married. Baal lokei achavi ve'in lacharaych bal klum. Right, we'll say ultimately again, the husband. Husband is a purchaser, right? And Zvulan has no rights in the property. At once there's a husband there, Amr here's the difference. Hasam the Amr Lehi Kishi Pnuya, da Amr it's two different cases. One is where I give the gift to Rachel when she's single, and one is where I give the gift to her when she's married. So what's the difference? It's Micah, Amr likni, Balo Likni, The way we're setting up, Rabbi Sayyid is that the case is where I say to Rachel, I want you to own this, but I don't want your husband to have any rights in it. So if you say that, you could give a woman a gift or give a woman something that her husband has no rights in. So if that's the way he said it, then, the husband would have no rights in a place of zvulon. If I give to Rachel when she's a single girl, Again, when she's a single girl, and then ultimately, again, she gets married. The husband becomes like a purchaser in that, and therefore, Allah so Chavamais, again, he has the ability to attract it from anyone who she purchases it. She purchases it, she purchases it. He has the ability to attract it from anyone who she sells it to and he would cut off the progression to zvulun. Instead of again, I just want to point out two pieces of halacha l'maysa. So first of all, this idea, this idea which is very important, that halacha l'maysa in general, the way we pass with a gift like this, if I give a gift to Ruvein, sorry, I give a gift to Rachel, I say, Rachel, after you die, right, I want it to go to zvulun. The way that type of gift works is only what is left goes to zvulun. And Eina Chinami, if she were to go ahead and sell it, zvulun would have nothing. Now that's not appropriate because obviously the the intention of the grantor, right? My intention when I give it to Rachel is I wanted to go to Zvulun, but Einachinam, if she disrupts the chain either by consuming the property in totality or by selling it or for that matter by getting married, by getting married, that disrupts the chain. Now I'll we'll say furthermore again the distinction over here in this case of where you have husband z- purchaser Zvulun. Versus the three parties in the Mishnah, Rachel, Leah, purchaser. In the Mishnah, we make a pshara, everybody gets something. In the Brysa case, only the purchaser gets something. We only make pshara where everyone is owed something. But where there's only one party that's going to get have a loss, we establish that property in the possession of the person who's going to suffer the loss. Incredible. So let's just finish off the parak. The Gemara says as follows. the b'al so, say, the Mishnah said, the Gemara said the same halacha, same halacha that applies in the Mishnah about the Ksuba, also applies in the case of a debt. What's the case of the debt? Tana vechim ba'chov, the Gemara says, ushnele The same applies in the case of a creditor with two purchasers. Rabbah said, take a quick look at Rashi, vechim ba'chov, ushnele kuchos, Ruvain no sheb be shimin mara. Rabbah here's the case Ruvain lent Shimon $1,000. Veloshte sados, and Shimon has two fields and he sold the fields to two different parties. Zubek hamishim, zubek hamishim. Okay, I just really lent, him a, lent him a hundred. Call it a hundred, right? He sold one field for fifty, a second field for fifty. Because of baal Lo keach and the creditor wrote to the second purchaser, dinudvar in Imakh, I'm releasing my lien against your second property. Baal kov on Ultimately, the Balchov can only collect the debt from the first one. The so, Interestingly enough, in this case, the first creditor, the first, the first purchaser can't say to the creditor, I left you a second field to collect from. Why not? Because to begin with, the value of the loan was already larger than the value of any one field. So I will say again, this was a case of where the loan is for a hundred, each field is worth 50. So by definition, the loan devolves upon both fields. Similarly, Rashi, on, the same would apply ultimately again in the case of a woman who has a Balaskhov. What's this case? Look at Rashi. Last Rashi in the paragraph. So I will say, so this is a woman ultimately again who has a claim against, a ksuba against her husband. And ultimately, goes ahead and sells his two fields to two different people. And what? The English name, Alekadeh And I says, let's say this is a case where Halach HaLamaysa, the value of both fields was equal to the k'suba. So I say, in this case, in this case, even if she went ahead and released the lien on one field, the, sec- the second purchaser, the first purchaser can say, I left you a place to collect from. Why? Because since both fields were needed to satisfy the total of the k'suva, therefore, again, she has the ability to collect from the field whose lien she did not release. So I will say, let me just bring this all together, for you because time, just quickly. Right, let me bring it all together for you. So therefore, I will say, well, what comes out of the sugi is as follows. Halacha halacha If a woman releases her lien from a property, then halacha that field is unencumbered. Right, So a woman has a right, she has a right, she has a lien against the property, she has a right to go ahead and lift that lien, lift that lien from, from a particular piece of property. Now, I say that interestingly enough, interestingly enough, there may be an exception to that rule. What's the exception to the rule? When we are concerned that maybe she's claiming nachas ruach asisi if she comes along and she claims that I never meant to lift my lean, li, I never meant to lift it, but rather, again, I was just trying to make my husband happy, that claim potentially could work to reinstate her lean. Now, when could she claim, nah labayli, when does that? So that's a little bit more of a machlokes, ultimately, again, in the Gemara. But from our Mishnah, what seems to be clear is that Halacha Lema if she releases a lean, the lean is released. The lean is released. Now, according to the Mishnah, you come to a very interesting case where wife number two collects the property, and then wife number one collects it from wife number two, purchaser can go back and collect right? and we have the circle. When there's a circle, right, when it's choser khalila, khalila, then what? Pshara. Pshara. But pshara only applies when? Only applies when? When all the parties involved stand to suffer a loss. But if you have one of these circular situations where only one party suffers a loss, then what? We establish the money in the possession of that party, you suffer. So I will say, Hajr Allah, Mishai Nasui. I will say, wow. Shkoyach, Mazotov, Merit Hashem, Misha, Tomazakh a brand new parak for first day of Yantiv. Shkoyach. Yeah. All right, Chevra, Jerry, a no, no. good Yantiv. Beautiful, oh, what a backdrop. Greg, a good Yantiv. All right, Yisrael, Chevra. I'm jealous, I'm jealous, I'm jealous. Have I'm to join you one day. maybe Chalamite, maybe Chalamite. Jerry, if I come, I'm staying by you. I'm just telling you. Here's Hashem. a good day to everyone. So, Larry, thank you so much. Once again, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. the Thank you. Oh, beautiful.